0: chapter 18 of prophets priests and kings by alfred george gardiner this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter 18 rufus isaacs kc i got a telegram one morning stating that a libel action in which i was concerned was down for hearing that day when i entered the law courts half an hour later the case was already in progress i had expected to find the air cold and inimicable instead i found the court beaming with good humour everyone seemed cheerful his lordship leaned back in his chair with an air of comfortable calm the jury leaned forward with various shades of amused interest upon their faces barristers and spectators seemed to be following a pleasant comedy i took a seat and soon shared the prevailing spirit my fears vanished in this easy good-humoured atmosphere this was not the thunderstorm which I had anticipated with black forebodings. It was a pleasant, breezy day. The meaning of it was soon apparent. Mr. Rufus Isaacs was weaving his magic incantations. His geniality was infectious. You felt that every one was a good fellow. His lordship look what an amiable, cheerful old gentleman he was. He wouldn't harm a worm, and the jury, what excellent fellows they were and the plaintiff an honest nice man labouring under a little misapprehension and the defendants equally honourable equally nice if you only knew them and his learned friend why he was the best fellow of all he exchanged nods and becks and wreathed smiles with the judge he talked to the jury as though he had never met twelve such luminous minded men before he permitted his learned friend to trip him up on the mispronunciation of a name thanked him gaily for his correction repeated the offence and laughingly rebuked his own forgetfulness it was all done with a lightness of touch a freshness and gaiety that were irresistible vainly did his learned friend try to stem the insidious tide vainly did he lash the poor defendants villains of the deepest dye vainly grow red and indignant calling for heavy yes gentlemen of the jury exemplary damages his fierce denunciation fell on deaf ears his demand for revenge sounded harsh and discordant in this kindly world the judge frowned disapproval at the bitter note and the jury gave him a farthing damages and so home very merry as good samuel pepys would say but i said to mr isaacs afterwards why did you alter your line of defence you never touched on our real case my dear sir his lordship is a plain man who loves a plain issue your real case was complex and would have tired him and irritated him he would have said gentlemen of the jury you have heard the evidence if you think it is a libel you will find for the plaintiff if you have any doubts you will find for the defendants gentlemen consider your verdict or words to that effect and down they would have come on you for there was only one man in that box you could count on i saw in this scene at the law courts something of the secret of the most brilliant career of the time at the bar sir charles russell won his triumphs by passionate intensity and autocratic compulsion his eye flashed fire and his tongue was an edged sword he was like a torrent in spate and the jury were swept along helpless and unresisting upon the swirling current he dominated men by his impetuous wrath by the energy of his mind and his manner. As he tapped his snuff-box, and eyed you terribly over the pince-nez that hung low upon the nose, you felt that the storm was gathering beneath those pent brows, and you waited for the lightning that came with the flash of the outstretched forefinger. To cross his path seemed a misdemeanor. To be opposed to him was ipso facto to be in the wrong. He won by sheer passion. He gained the battle by the sword mr isaacs wins by wooing it was said of cobden that he was the only man who ever turned votes in the house of commons he did it not by rhetoric but by the sweet reasonableness of his persuasive talk mr isaacs has the same ingratiating faculty he is so pleasant and amiable that it is a pain to disagree with him so frank that you are sure that he is telling you all about it so sensible that you feel he must be right He does not browbeat the witness, or hector the judge, or dictate to the jury. He pervades the court with a sense of polite comedy. He makes everybody feel at ease, except his learned friend, who sees his case vanishing in wreathed smiles and urbane compliment. It is only when he leaves the box that the witness sees how he has been caught in the folds of that insinuating net i dreamed about you last night mr isaacs said a surgeon returning to the box you have been a nightmare to me i have hardly slept since you let me out of the box on friday i dreamed you had examined me and i seemed to have nothing on except bones he has the intellectual suppleness of the east and something of the mystery of his race the jewish mind at its best has an orbit outside the western range at its worst a depth below our lowest deep the jewish temperament is for us inscrutable we are at home with all other minds whether they be clothed in black skins or white but the jew like the japanese is eternally alien to us he moves in other spheres he is motived by springs to which we have no access the soul of spinoza as he bends over his humble task of glass-cutting at the hague sails beyond the baths of all the western stars Lasker, sitting over the chessboard seems to dwell in the unexplored vastness outside our intellectual range shakespeare we grasp but isaiah has a vision that is not ours gladstone we understand but who has fathomed the dark mystery that was called israeli slaves in eternal egypt baked their strawless bricks at ease in successive zions prating their politics they are of every nation And of none it is one of the greatest of living jews who has best stated the strange duality of israel the splendor and squalor of his race but even he has not wholly unveiled to us the heart of its mystery the english mind is direct obvious emphatic its attack is frontal it marches up to the enemy's batteries with bulldog courage and breaks the line or is broken in the attempt you may take mr gill as the legal type of the english mind he goes for the witness with great smashing blows he knocks the breath out of his body if he can and then turns hot and perspiring to receive his reward from the jury mr isaacs is all subtlety and insinuation you cannot come to hand-grips with him he is intangible a duel between him and mr gill is one of the most delightful spectacles i know it is a duel between quarterstaff and rapier all the weight on one side all the agility on the other it is like those immortal combats in the mermaid between ben jonson massive and slow as a spanish galleon and shakespeare swift and elusive as an english frigate down comes the quarterstaff with an immense sweep and there is mr isaacs leaning lightly upon his sword or gently pricking the defenceless flank of his opponent his pleasant face more aggravatingly pleasant than ever it is all a gay comedy his spirit is still the spirit of the boy who ran away to sea and served before the mast on the blair athole he found that stowing the main skysail and cleaning the brass work were not such fun as they seemed in fancy and he decamped at rio de janeiro but he was laid by the heels and had to finish the voyage round by calcutta two years in magdeburg as the german agent of his father's business satisfied him that superintending shipments was little better than stowing the main skysail of the blair athole and he turned up on the stock exchange where i believe he lost money and won fame with the gloves then rich in worldly wisdom he went to the temple where worldly wisdom is more valuable even than law and stepped breezily out of the chambers of mr lawson walton into a practice that led to twenty thousand pounds a year a dwelling in the paradise of park lane and any office that he may choose to aim at he probably knows more of human nature in its crude state than any man of his time he has seen it where it is most naked and unashamed in ships at sea in trade on the stock exchange and in the temple where its most rapacious and unlovely aspects are unveiled and it is not surprising that one finds in him a touch of good-humoured cynicism mixed with the breezy carelessness of his demeanour most lawyers have a touch of cynicism diogenes might find an honest man in the temple he certainly would not find an idealist the law is death to dreams perhaps it is this want of the atmosphere of dreams that makes the lawyer generally so arid a figure in politics the lawyer who succeeds in politics on a grand scale is rare and with few exceptions he succeeds not because but in spite of the lawyer qualities mr asquith is the exception to the rule men never thought of harcourt as a lawyer russell's passion for ireland obliterated the lawyer and the only occasion on which sir john rigby touched the heart of the house was when a pipe fell from his pocket as he was seen to be after all a man and a brother mr isaacs is not an arid figure in the house his personality is too piquant his outlook too bright and human but he is not a great parliamentary figure the impression he creates is that of a light skirmisher on the fringe of the battle there is no compelling conviction no burning zeal that carries him passionately into the heart of the conflict contrast him for a moment with sir william robson i have seen them both in court in cases in which i was involved and let me put it modestly i prefer mr isaacs but in the house how different their values mr isaacs is the lightest of weights sir william Robson, one of the most commanding of contemporary political minds it is not perhaps in this case the difference between the lawyer who is primarily a lawyer and the lawyer who is primarily a layman it is the difference between the english mind and the jewish mind in relation to british politics the jewish mind is essentially outside our politics despite the sorceries of disraeli the jew is a citizen of the world he has no patriotism for he has all patriotisms if he is orthodox his loyalty is to his race if he is unorthodox his loyalty is commonly less reputable the only jew i can recall who had the root of the matter in him who really thought about english politics as an englishman thinks was Goshen and no one thought of him as a jew when mr isaacs's name was canvassed in connection with the solicitor generalship a barrister said to me there is too much work for one man and mr isaacs is the only man i know equal to the task his energy and power of work are incredible he is in bed at eleven and he is up at four when the courts are sitting four hours he is at his briefs and then fresh as a lark he is at the courts winding up with an afternoon and evening at the house he carries his work as lightly as he carries his triumphs. he is wholly unspoiled by success a pleasant debonair figure easy in all company telling a bright story with droll enjoyment the brilliant black eye of his race sparkling with fun the mobile mouth working with the genial current of his thought wherever his brilliant path may lead him whether to the woolsack or to the seat of the master of the rolls whose most famous ornament Jessel was like himself a jew it will lead him to no place he is not fitted to adorn End of chapter 18.